not guilting people, like acknowledging that this this is a crazy time for everyone. Um, but here's the joy that we can be a part of. And here's the difference that we can make if we come together and do it. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, I'm joined by Matt Munt. Matt is the Senior Director of Marketing for Cure International, and he works directly with his team to come up with the most creative and authentic ways to let people know about Cure's transforming work. For the past 20 years, Matt has led the digital marketing efforts and strategy for organizations like K-Love and Air One Radio, also various other media outlets, and he's a wealth of knowledge on how you can use the power of various mediums to transport your supporters to a place that they can feel and be a part of the impact that your organization is having on the grounds, even if that means countries away. Again, Matt provides a variety of insights, including how they're using various mediums to build more personalized relationships with their donors. It's an incredible conversation, so let's dive in. Matt, you're the director of marketing at Cure International now. However, I want to take a step back and ask you, like, what sparked you down the path of going into the for good business? Because you've been doing this for a while. So I'm just curious, like, how did you even get into this? Like, what was the the Plinko machine that led you to Cure? (laughs) Well, funny that you said Plinko, because just totally random side fact here, I was on the prices right about... 10 years ago, and I want a car. So anyway, side note, but very fun. Either way, how did well, I, I feel get like into... I feel like we should just stop yeah. there for a minute. Yeah. Like, did, <laughs> What's it like to win a prize on a game show? It's, like, did you have to pay surreal. taxes? Or how do you even like oh, yeah. get... Yeah, yeah, it's a mess, I heard. It is, it is, but it's also incredibly fun. But what's wild is they call your name, and so there's part of you going, okay, just don't look like a fool on national TV, but then it's like, oh man, I can actually win something. And so it's trying to remember back because I hadn't watched Prices Right for years. And so it's like, okay, how do I actually win stuff now? I'm I'm up on stage. And so yeah, it was that's a whole nother podcast. I've got my theory on how you get on the show too. So maybe part two. <laughs> yeah, part two for sure. But, so obviously you've experienced the prices right. So yes. that's part of your story. But <laughs> yeah. uh, what else got you to to cure? Yeah. So I mean In a nutshell, I've always loved media and how media, specifically video. I was in high school, 1998, 2000s, and learning video editing. And I did it for my church youth group. And I just got to see the impact when you told a good story, when you used different forms of media, you could capture people's attention and share a story. Um, And so I've gone through, I've worked at radio stations, I've worked at record labels, and I kind of bounced back and forth between those. I loved working with creative people, and I also just loved, you know, the impact that a song can have on someone's life. Um, and then a couple of years ago, Cure International came about. And it was like, at first I was like, no way. I have, Cure is, you know, we have medical children's hospitals around the world, primarily in Africa. And we have a Tim Tebow hospital in the Philippines. And I thought, well, I have no medical background, never had any aspirations um, to go into mission work, go into the field. 
Um, but when I started realizing that those tools of storytelling and media is how you get donors in, like that's how you tell your story, how you get someone even interested in giving to a nonprofit. Um, and so as I started going through the interview process, light bulbs starting popping above my head going, oh, wait, my radio background. Well, we can we do radio to bring in awareness and get donors for Cure International to, to support the kids and the doctors in our hospitals. Um, I've done social media marketing. Well, guess what? Digital marketing is growing more and more in the nonprofit world as well. And so that's just, that's kind of in a nutshell how I came to be working in the nonprofit world at Cure International. Yeah, and I love that you you started with this idea of like visual storytelling and how mm-hmm. you actually didn't realize like that that was essential to like nonprofits, but it could bridge the gap really from the giver to the good. And one of my, one of my um, old consultants I used to work with, Stephen Screen, always says that like when someone gives to a nonprofit, the only thing they receive in exchange typically when it's like a pure donation is a hit of dopamine Mm. and the communications they receive from your organization. So like in a typical sale, you're like giving something, they're getting something back. With nonprofits, it's like the communications that you give back to your donors is really the only thing they're getting in or from you. And you mentioned the value of that to really engage donors. And one thing I've realized with Cure as I was doing research is that your visual storytelling is like central to all that you do, like from your mm-hmm. website to the video uh, like videos that you put out, your impact report, you guys did a documentary, you know, it's brilliant. Like, could you take us behind the scenes though a bit and share like the inner workings of how you all actually produce all of this and like how you collaborate with the programs team? Like take us under the hood a little bit because we only see the bright and shiny and I want to, yeah. how does it actually happen? Like how are you guys structured, et cetera? Yeah. Well, one, just incredible people who love the mission. Um, but our secret weapon really is our storytellers. So we, their, their title is storyteller. So at each one of our hospitals, we have someone there with a DSLR, nice quality camera that captures video, audio, and photos. And their whole story is to, their whole job, I mean, is to look for stories to be told. You know, the number one story is kid comes in, hear their story. What, why have they not been able to walk their entire life? What what gave them those severe burns? You know, these very compelling stories. I mean, every single kid that comes through our hospitals, could you could make a movie out of their life. And so we pick some of the best ones and we put them up on our website and then track their journey, you know, follow along. Okay. They're going in to get surgery and they're, they're, and try and paint the emotions too. I mean, imagine a, an eight-year-old kid who's one, never thought they're going to be able to walk, you know, or their parents have never even thought they're going to be able to walk. Now they're in this brand new setting of a hospital and they're being loved on and cared for, but it's still scary for a child. And so our storytellers are great writers too. And finding what are those little quotes that to be able to translate over here to America for us to understand what it's really like for these kids to, to have their life radically, radically changed at our hospitals. And so, um, I just, I can't say enough about them. It makes my job as a marketer easier because Christmas time rolls around and just send an email, send a message, send a Slack out to all of our storytellers in the hospitals and say, Hey, I need a photo of Christmas trees and Christmas lights. And then I've got five to 10 photos to choose for on social media. So yeah, it's pretty incredible um, to be able to have storytellers at every single hospital to do that. And that level of like commitment to having storytellers on the field, I would assume is a realization that program staff or those like on the ground doing the work like are very busy because, you know, I worked in international development and we made those same types of requests, but we were making them to, you know, our partners on the ground who have... Mm a lot of competing priorities. 
And in your guys' case, you're actually saying, no, we're going to make this someone's like dedicated job and make sure they're actually like talented at this mm-hmm. specific task, which to me indicates that there's a commitment as the organ at the organizational leadership level of the importance of story. Could you unpack like how leadership reinforces those investments and like how you all navigate that or how do you keep that centralized? Because I don't think that's standard for a lot of nonprofits. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to give credit to people who have come before me who set up this program to have seven, eight people on our staff whose titles are storytellers. Um, and of course, they do more than just storytelling. I mean, they, they fill in the gaps here and there. They're doing marketing on the ground. So we're doing marketing here in the States to get donors, but they also are doing marketing in Africa to get the word out to kids who have disabilities, treatable disabilities, that, hey, our hospitals are here for you. Um, come here to our services. We've got great, great service for you. And so, um, yeah, I would just really give credit to the people who've come before me to do that. And then, but we've seen the result of it. You know, you mentioned our documentary, um, our website. If you go to our website, cure.org, you can see the kids that are currently right now in our hospitals receiving treatment. And it's tied into our sustainer program, our recurring donor. And so, when people give each month, they're, every single month, they're getting a different child that they're helping heal. And so it's really kind of baked into everything that we do. And I mean, you know better than anyone, every single day, I mean, video only continues to grow, you know, but the visual mediums continue to grow. Social media is really a driving force behind that. Um, and so it's really not too hard to justify their role when all things are pointing to, we just need to tell better stories. And one of the best ways to do that is with visuals. Yeah, and I want I you mentioned monthly giving or your sustainer program and I definitely want to talk into that. But the other thing you mentioned was like the importance of video. And you and I actually met through a mutual partner, mm-hmm. um Casey at Bonjuro, which is like a pers- video personalization platform. Yeah. And he had sent me one of the videos of Cure staff, which I assume was maybe one of your storytellers, um, had made for a donor and I was just blown away with the level of personalization and how it really brought the giver into that moment, you know, where he's sitting with the children that they've helped and, you know, kind of being able to present that and showcase that to the donor. Is this something you're doing at scale? And and how how is this like infused into how you nurture donors today? Yeah. So I am a huge advocate of Bonjuro because it's made it so easy to do it at scale. Because otherwise it would be incredibly hard. I mean, we we're set up perfectly to do this because we've got these storytellers in every single hospital. In the past, you know, a major donor, I wanted to send them a video. We'd ask, you know, one of our storytellers, hey, can you shoot this video? They email it to me or they slack it to me. Um, And then I send it to our development person and then they, you know, text it out or email it. With Bonjuro, we're able to really kind of take all those steps out and send it out with a nice customized template with a call to action. And so um, we have systematized it from everything to thanking donors to reactivating donors and syncing it with our CRM. We use Salesforce. And so being able to, you know, so one program that um, when, when Casey at Bonjour reached out, he said, you know, hey, we want to give you guys a trial with our service. What do you want to do? And I instantly knew what I wanted to do. Mind you, this was pre-COVID, but we had about 600 or so mid-range donors who had given $1,000 to us at one time. Um, and $1,000 at a cure hospital completes a surgery for a child. And so there was about 600 of these folks who hadn't given in the past 365 days. And we wanted to show them the impact that that $1,000 had. So we had a new video created. It caught up with three kids who had been to our different hospitals. And just to check in with them and go, what's life like now after you've had these surgeries? Um, 
And we sent these videos to them and it was just, it was so easy to do. It was actually fun to do it. And then our, these donors are able to send us messages back and they're able to see real time also, because these videos, again, you mentioned like our storytellers are in our hospital sitting with the kids pre-op or post-op. And just, just, just that alone, like gave me chills. It was like, I, I enjoyed seeing those videos because I've only gone to our hospitals once and it was the most incredible experience. And so just to feel like I was taken there into the ward as these kids are healing up and just to see the joy on their faces, you know, I mean, that alone was worth it. And so, um, yeah, Bonjuro was able to take the technical expertise out and let me just focus on, okay, what's the story that we're going to tell? What's the visual, you know, how are we going to send this and get people's attention so that they actually engage with the content that we're creating? Because it is, that is the hardest thing right now is to, how do you break through the noise? There are so many things for people to, to watch on their phone and on their computer. They're constantly being pinged. How are we going to actually get someone's attention? And Bonjuro has also thought through, how do you do that? You know, animated GIF in the email of our kids in the hospital waving their hand. Like, think about that. In your inbox, you see Cure <laughs> International said, we shot a personal video for you. And there's three cute kids with a storyteller having fun in our hospital. Like, that the open rate was like 70%, I believe. Yeah, that's like, when I heard this story from Casey, I was just like, this is incredible. And I think it, it hits on some key things that we talk about here at Virtuous a lot around the need to, 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 to be able to earn attention and not just mm-hmm. seek out to like try to capture it or steal attention or compete for attention. Because mm-hmm. we believe attention is actually the most valuable currency nowadays. And if you look at some of the biggest companies in the world, like, they're, they're monetizing our attention in some capacity. Yeah. Um, and th- that idea of getting attention is, is, is something a lot of organizations struggle with, especially now that we're amidst of you know, challenging times, whether it's with COVID or the, you know, the current the racial tensions in the US. And kind of every, every time we turn around, there's some sort of news story that's breaking that's trying to capture people's attention. And you guys were able to leverage personalization through video to be able to kind of circumvent that. But I'm curious because we advocate for personalization as a way to really go around the noise. But how else besides with Bonjuro and video are you infusing personalization into your cultivation that cure? A lot of it is the multi-channel approach. And so we've used these Bonjuros, like we'll send the Bonjuros to folks, but also to complement it with a direct mail piece that they're getting. And then Facebook ads targeted to them. Um, I've used a new service recently. It's called Sly Broadcast and it it will do a ringless voicemail. And again, it's not a spammy voicemail. I mean, it's an informative one. Like it's a voicemail from one of our doctors in the field um, with a a message to these people. And so, but really kind of trying to the same message, but on different platforms, because I, I don't expect someone to just drop everything when they see something coming from cure. Like I would love to think that they love our brand and love what we do so much that they're going to consume the the two minute video that I've created for them. Um, but they're going to forget. And so kind of tearing it, you know, we'll send out the direct mail piece and then send them an email and then maybe a voicemail and then a Bonjuro personalized video. Um, and then Facebook ads, like, not at the same time, but just kind of staggered so that your chance of reminding someone, oh yeah, I meant to go watch that, or I meant to read that, or I meant to give. I mean, hopefully they meant to give. Um, one other thing I want to share about this this donor reactivation thing that we had done with Bonjuro was, uh, this, like I said, this is right when COVID-19 was starting. And this was before we knew, like, should we ask for money yet or not? We know we need to. Um, it, like, really had no time to think about it yet. And we came to realize, yeah, you need to still ask. But instead, we led with 
um, the personal video and we linked them to a page. It was a donation page, but top and front and center was content. And it, it was that video where you got to catch up with three kids who had received surgery at our hospital. So in the email and in the video, there was nothing saying, hey, give, give to this campaign. It was purely, we want to show you the impact that you had. And that had good results. I mean, that we reactivated about 3%. So we got about 20 do- donations out of it, um, sending it out to those folks. Yeah, and I think that idea of just being able to give value and making like even suggestions to donors at various life cycle stages that isn't just to give, but also mm-hmm. building on the momentum if they do take that action. We talk yeah. a lot about this with responsive fundraising is that you want to maintain momentum. So like if you engage with a supporter and they engage with a story, why not give them the opportunity that's the next right step? Like Netflix and Amazon do it. Like, why aren't we tapping into that same <laughs> things where it's like, you did this, now you might want to do these things. And I think mm-hmm. that video really showcased um, that opportunity. And, and and you kind of mentioned this idea of engaging reactive or like trying to reactivate donors, but then multi-channel. Can you talk a little bit about how Cure looks at their donors overall and like kind of uh, tries to use multi-channel personalization across the like the donor life cycle? I'm just curious how you guys are approaching this at different levels of the donor life, life cycle. Yeah, we want to do more. <laughs> In fact, we've been having conversations of, should we upgrade our CRM and get more features, fancy features, or downgrade and really kind of build from the ground up so we can have a little more data behind it? Because honestly, we're flying by the seat of our pants right now and just going, mm-hmm. okay, we've, we, we've got our general donor segments. We've got our recurring you know, sustainers. We've got our one-time donors, kind of mass donors. We've got our mid-range. We've got our majors. And we're customizing based on the, the, the ask, you know, of what's an appropriate ask for these folks. Um, but looking at where they really are in the donor journey, we just honestly haven't had enough time to do that. And that's, we know that we want to do that and just fostering, especially the one-time donor. We just did a big radio campaign, brought in a lot of new donors and a lot of one-time donors. And so now we're kind of going, okay, what's the next approach? You know, how do we get that second gift out of them? And so, um, yeah, it's, 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 I love doing it. It's a it's a fun thing to kind of brainstorm, collaborate with our team, but we're also going, okay, but we also got to maintain the current donors that we have that are recurring. And so, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of different verticals and we're trying to do the best on all of them, but also realizing we got to focus on one at a time and do the best for each segment accordingly. Yeah, but I think you bring up a good point because we talk to a lot of nonprofit leaders who maybe are in the same shoes as you are where you're like, hey, we know we could do better. We know personalization works. We're trying to figure out how to engage this, but it's just too big of a task so they don't start. Mm-hmm. And so you you guys are definitely kind of taking that approach where it's like, hey, we're going to start where we can and we're going to move forward knowing that we could always do better. And I think that's really exemplary. So if you're sitting there, like if someone's listening to this and is like, okay, Matt, we get it. Like you guys are awesome. <laughs> like, but we couldn't do that at our organization. We don't have leadership buy-in. We don't have storytellers on the field. Like what advice do you have for someone listening that may not... Uh, be in a uh, more of a promoting environment like you all are at Cure, but still knows that this is the right thing to tackle. Start small, but also focus on what you think is going to move the needle most. I mean, you're not going to know that unless you're measuring, so be measuring. And so I've even been in that situation now where I would love to do, there's all these grandiose ideas of what I'd like to do, but I started with, okay, we're getting new donors trickling in all the time. 
we know that if we thank them soon and we thank them with a compelling, you know, welcome pack, that the retention is going to go longer. That's going to make my job easier in the long run. So I've really kind of focused on, okay, what's, what's the donor's experience when they, they decide that they're going to be generous and give to us, what are we going to do to make a mark, like make them, you know, feel thanked, um, but also have a better understanding of who we are. And so, you know, thankfully we've got a documentary that's very compelling and uh, you can watch it on YouTube and Amazon Prime. Prime. It's called uh, Modern Day Miracles. But even without that, we've got, just like you, these videos we talked about on Bonjuro. I have, it's a generic one, so it's not personal. We're going to do personalization soon. Um, but within the first 24 hours of someone giving on our website, I send them a Bonjuro video and it's from one of our hospitals kids waving and saying, thank you. And then our storyteller just saying, hey, we've got a documentary, click click on the link below and you can watch it for free and see how your donation is healing kids. And um, I, I'm going to be tracking it and seeing, okay, did we see that our donor retention um, went up, you know, starting May of 2020? Because we really hadn't been doing that. We'd been sending them a welcome pack, but it was that would come a couple weeks later. And I kept on hearing on podcasts like yours that thanking people in the first 24 to 48 hours had incremental results on your donor retention. And so I took the tool, Bonjour is just a tool, and was like, how can I apply that to help this be a more scalable thing when it's really me doing it right now. Like I don't have someone I can just say, hey, go send these videos out. It's me. But once a day, I just go in there and I've got, you know, five to 10 to 20 new donors to send a video out to. Um, and I'm excited to see the results of that, you know, to kind of compare, you know, how, how has the retention been? And then the second, getting a second gift from these folks who hopefully are feeling thanked and appreciated from us in a very visual way. Again, like they're being thanked by the kids that they are helping heal and give surgery to, which I think is one of the most powerful thing, you know, you can put up before and after photo um, to see the difference that you made. But when there's actually a kid waving and telling you, thank you. Um, it's, I hope that's a powerful, it, it's something that people want to share with their friends and family. Like that's really my hope is that it's, this will also be kind of a vi- have some virality to it. Um, of, oh my goodness. You, water cooler talk. I can't believe it. These kids at the hospital that I gave to, they just sent me a thank you video and you know, we'll see. So it's, it's fun. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, like what you're hinting at, even if you're an organization listening to this that maybe is in animal welfare or healthcare or a variety of other community services or arts or activism, is that you're you're leading. There's two things. One is that you're identifying key milestones in the donor's journey that matter, not like more than others, but have a bigger impact on that experience. And your first experience with anything is is essential. So that's a great milestone. There are other milestones that you can identify that you can start with, whether it's year one, like they've given to you one year, like how do you then engage with them in year two and set expectations and showcase how other donors get involved. The other thing that you just highlighted that I don't want to lose sight of is that you're leading with why the donor gave. So the donor gives because they want to support kids receiving health care. So you're saying, okay, well, let's deliver on that. We're going to send them a picture of kids that have received mm-hmm. health care and are now happy. And I think like it's so simple, But in the midst of like the complexity of like, how do we set this up? And like, where's this? And where's that? Like, let's send this, let's do that. We like miss the point that like people gave for a reason. Like, why don't we just like close the loop on that? And I think that's Mm -hmm. what your approach that you're testing and we'll see what the results are, as you said, uh, really reveals because you're, you're bridging that gap, which is key. Well, and one other thing I want to share with that. So I, before we recorded here, we talked about story brand and how we love that. And it's so important here, Donald Miller story brand, like keeping it simple and focusing on, you know, the main thing. 
for us at Cure International, like we're operating these first world hospitals in these developing countries. It'd be really easy to say, here's how we're doing brain surgery in Uganda and all these different nuances. I mean, medic, you know, doing medical care in Africa is a whole fascinating thing in itself. But majority of our donors are not doing that. Like we're telling them provide hope and healing to kids. When we thank them, I want to show how they provided hope and healing, not how they, you know, grew this expanded wing. So we have 10 more hospital beds to do more surgeries. Like that's very important and neat, but focusing on one kid or a couple kids whose lives have been changed because of their generosity. Absolutely. And I think it's that curse of knowledge that we have where we're like, oh, but these <laughs> yes. things are so awesome and cool in advance. And it's like, no one actually, it's not that they don't care. It's just not necessarily the most important thing, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, so I know we, we mentioned it briefly, but I want to dive into it a little bit is that monthly giving, you know, so I want to talk mm-hmm. about monthly giving. We all know it's important. Yeah, only some organizations really get this right. And I know this is I know this personally because I spent three and a half years when I started fundraising, actually managing a monthly giving program. And I've seen what Cure does and it, it's, it's, it's incredible, like the approach that you take. So just for our listeners, could you guys, un, or could you unpack Cure's approach to monthly giving or giving and why you've kind of chosen to lead with that as the primary suggested ask? Because every time I engage with you all, you're like, hey, give monthly, serve this. It feels like the <laughs> primary ask, but maybe I'm maybe I'm off there. No, it's no, it's definitely our primary ask. Uh, one, just because it's, it's once you get them in the door, like we we believe that people are going to love being a part of the Cure family. We call them a Cure hero, um, and being able to be actively engaged each month, seeing a different child that you're helping heal. Um, and we a lot of times when people see it, they go, oh, it's child sponsorship. And it's like, not quite. We love child sponsorship and it's great. This is, you're sponsoring a surgery. You're sponsoring healing each month. And so we try to highlight those uniquenesses about what we're doing. And so being able to send a get well message to the kids. So when, you know, beginning of the month or, you know, each month when your, your card is charged, you get a photo and the story of the child that you're getting help heal. And then you can send them a get well message. And when possible, we try and send messages back, but you're also, you at least get to see a photo of the kids reading your message. Um, and then you get the updates. And so it is, it's like a, a mini social media feed of these kids that are in our hospital. And so they're, they're going into pre-op today. Oh, they, they're playing in the playroom today. They're having fun. And they met some friends. And so our storytellers do a great job of humanizing it too. So it's not just this, here's the before and after photo of the kid. Now give us more money. It's no, like, here's a chance. If you're a family or an individual giving, be engaged with it and follow along with these different kids that you're getting help heal. Uh, as a parent, um, I love it because one, you, you, a lot of times these kids are so young, they can't talk. So you get to hear the voice of the parent and the hope that you're giving them. Like I, that I resonate with incredibly. Um, but also for kids to be able to see kids that look like themselves. And you hear these stories of these kids being picked on and bullied in these cultures because of a, a disability that they had no choice over, you know? Um, so yeah, it's definitely um, rewarding and fun. I hope for our donors to be, an engaged donor um, and use it as a tool to teach their kids generosity and, and just to have a perspective of what, what the world is like through, you know, our hospitals. Yeah. And you, and you, you hit on the same point again, you're closing that loop, but I do think what's really unique about your monthly giving program as an example, if you dissect it, is that like, you could have also been in a situation where you're like, Hey, you need to fund surgeries for this hospital. Or, hey, we need to raise money to be able to provide children with surgeries. But instead, mm-hmm. you all packaged what you do in a way that was accessible and relatable to your core 
you know, ideal donor base. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of organizations look at this and say, oh, well, that's because, you know, you're set up that way. But I think the thing that's missed a lot of times is that you were able, like at one point, it wasn't necessarily like that. Or if it was, it was intentionally designed because you wanted to make sure you bridge that gap. And I think a lot of organizations have the same opportunity, even if they don't have a child surgery or a child sponsorship or like a clear monthly giving kind of component to kind of dissect what they're doing and repackage it in a way that it aligns with a donor's need or donor's like uh, desired uh, investment opportunity. Um, and that's unique for that organization. So I, I want to make sure we didn't jump off of this and be like, oh, look at what Cure is doing. But it's like, no, there's actually some key elements here that if you dissect it, you can actually apply that same dissection model and re-architect it for any nonprofit. So those listening can do that as well. Any thoughts on that as organizations trying to navigate monthly giving that maybe aren't uh, designed from the ground up to be monthly giving organizations? I think a first step is to talk to your current donors. What do they love about giving and see if you can build something around that? You know, are there, is there a certain newsletter that you send out or an email or a certain social media theme? Like every Tuesday, I do hashtag transformation Tuesday because we looked at the analytics and what did people care the most about? They wanted to see these journeys, these kids came, you know, so it's a photo of when they first come to our hospital, them in surgery and then after surgery and maybe some fun smiling photos, playing bubbles in the the playroom and stuff. Um, But so ask your donors, like, why did you give? Why, what made you so passionate to give? And can you build it around that? Yeah, I think that's, that's a great point. Well, we're almost out of time, but I want to make sure we take the opportunity to kind of take a step back. Obviously, like you mentioned, some of the stuff you were, uh, some of these campaigns you were doing pre-COVID, but obviously we're in the midst of COVID. Um, The world is kind of responding to, you know, uh, some of the systematic racism that we have in our culture and the Black Lives Matter protesting and kind of uh, movement that's going on right now. So I say all this to say like 2020 has brought with it a lot of, a lot of new challenges and new things that nonprofits are having to navigate. And so as a marketer who's, who's leading communication from your organization to your supporters, what advice or guidance do you have, or even just questions you're asking yourself, would you share with others that are trying to navigate this same landscape for their organization? Yeah. So we, about a month ago, we, our biggest radio fundraiser of the year happened and we spent countless hours going into that partly just freaked out going, okay, how do we message this? Because we don't want to be tone deaf and ignore what's happening all around us. Um, But we don't want to dilute the core message of what we're doing. And so going into this big radio fundraiser, I mean, we had a million messaging ideas. We had plan A, B, and C if it didn't work. Um, But what ended up working was Hope, thankfully, you know, due to talented people at this radio station and on our team, we stuck to the core messaging of Cure. And we said, you know what? We get it. The world's crazy. You maybe lost your job. If that's the case, we're not asking you to support. But if you're doing okay, let me tell you a story about a kid in our hospitals who right now has no hope. He's been on a wait list so he can get his foot straightened for two years. And we just did that formula over and over again, acknowledging what's going on um, but then telling people, hey, let's go do something. Let's change the narrative. You know, let's go do something and let's help help someone else. Um, and then with the messaging to our donors, they've 
they know a little bit more about it. So that was to get new donors in. And so we had to, you know, especially stick to the core cure messaging of what we do, how our hospitals operate, um, and then story, 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 story. Here's the kids that you're going to be helping provide surgery for. Um, but then with our donors, we're able to go a couple layers deeper and explain how is COVID impact. I mean, being a medical ministry and a, you know, medical field, it, it was only natural for us to explain, you know, here's what we're doing to prepare for COVID in our hospitals. Um, this is what's happening. You know, here's how we're equipping our doctors and nurses uh, during COVID. And this is the, you know, social di- and, and had some fun with it too, even like, here's how the kids are socially distancing in the ward. And, um, but again, not guilting people, like acknowledging that this, this is a crazy time for everyone. Um, but here's the joy that we can be a part of. And here's the difference that we can make if we come together and do it. And so, yeah, it's been um, I, I have to give credit to our team and just, I mean, it's been, again, countless hours of brainstorming and we kept on coming back to, but we want to make sure people know what they're giving to because we don't want to do bait and switch. Like you're giving to COVID-19 response. No, actually you're giving so that we can keep our hospitals going so we can keep on giving these kids surgeries who desperately need them. And so, um, yeah, I, I, we're still learning and I think everyone is, um, but it's been such a joy to be a part of a team that's been able to come up with a, a plan that, you know, so far is working. And so, yeah, it's, it's an honor to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a good reminder, like acknowledgement. So you're not tone deaf and balancing that, but also not losing yourself amidst it as well, mm-hmm. because ultimately what you do is important pre COVID pre 2020 pre yeah. everything that's going on, the news cycle, the political banter, the economic, you know, uncertainty, all of these different things. And so you should stick with that because that's what matters and what's sustaining in some ways than yeah, the heard next quote, headline. Yeah, I heard a quote early on in COVID. I forget who it was. I wish I could give them credit, but it really resonated with me. And they said, if your mission was important before COVID, it's still important now. And so, because I think all of us, at least I know for myself, there was a part of me that just said, you know what, we need to sh- shut down here and let this thing pass. But no, this, these kids are still waiting at our hospitals for surgery, and we need to keep on going forward. And so um, that, that quote really, I think, encouraged me to keep on going, okay, we just got to keep on going. And the, the word of the year is pivot, I think, right? And so there's just a lot of pivoting and listening to feedback and, again, collaborating with your team. Like You've got people on your team who love your mission. You've got donors. You've got board members who love your mission. And have these open dialogues because nobody has the manual on how to deal with this. And so I think we can maybe learn from this too, is how do we take what we've done during this season of COVID and apply it post COVID? You know, how do we make sure that we're getting ideas from everyone and hearing all these voices and ideas and coming up with, you know, a concise plan, you know, that's, taken into consideration people's creative ideas within the organization. Absolutely. Well, Matt, this has been really great. I appreciate the time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast. 
you can download a content kit that includes the responsive fundraising blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You also get the responsive fundraising playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is going to be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast. 